0: Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest this week is Hanine tajouri Basasi, Tunisia's ambassador to the United States. Ambassador Tajouri's career of service in the Tunisian foreign ministry includes serving as ambassador to Germany, Director in charge of the Tunisia EU relationship and Deputy Chief of Mission at the Tunisian embassies in the US and Portugal. My conversation with Ambassador Hanin Tajouri Basasi about last week's referendum in Tunisia and what it means for US Tunisia relations begins now. Ambassador Tajouri, welcome to On the Middle East.
1: Good morning, dear Andrew. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. President Kais Saeed won a referendum last week that consolidates political power in the presidency, which many observers, including the U.S., have noted with concern. Now we'll get to the U.S. reaction shortly. But I'd like to stay on the Tunisian politics for just a moment. The vast majority of Tunisians didn't bother to show up for the vote, and much of the opposition, including the Islamist Anada Party, boycotted the referendum. This didn't come out of the blue as Saeed, who was voted into office in 2019, suspended the parliament a year ago this month following widespread demonstrations over a deteriorating economy and poor government services. Please explain to our listeners how Tunisia, the birthplace and promise of the popular pro-democracy Arab Spring demonstrations just over a decade ago, which toppled longtime President Zina al Abidine Ben Ali in 2011, got to this point with the referendum.
1: Thank you, Andrew, for the question. Indeed, a referendum has been held on July 25th on the draft of the new constitution. It has been supervised by the Independent High Authority for Elections, EZ, which attested during several press briefings that the referendum has been managed safely, in transparent and fair way, with the presence of national and international observers. The turnout was about 30.5% of the registered voters. For summer elections, uh, I think it's an acceptable rate because it's, uh, it's a holiday uh, period, not only for the Tunisians in Tunisia, but also for the diaspora. So, roughly 3 million voters participated. Openly and freely expressed themselves. Almost nine, 95% voted in favor of the referendum of the constitution and 5% against it. Uh, and in this respect, I would like to commend the three millions who were strongly committed to actively participated in a decisive choice for the country. So, Andrew, the sovereign vote of the Tunisian was obvious. They endorsed the political reform uh, reform process announced one year ago by Mr. President of the Republic, a process that aims to establish a healthy and sustainable democracy that can finally meet the real needs and expectation of the Tunisian people, a democracy that can enable an effective fight against corruption, a democracy that can raise the tremendous economic challenges and show the economic dividend of being a democracy in the daily life of the Tunisian people. I think that the voice, loud voice of a large number of Tunisian reiterates the firm will to turn the page of the political impasse uh, that has handicapped during the past years, the normal functioning of the institutions and has further amplified a feeling of frustration and disappointment among the population. So that's why the the next steps after the referendum is that the Tunisian authorities are really determined to finish with these exceptional measures and to resume a normal and efficient functioning of the institution. That's why the next step will be to focus on the amendment of the electoral law Uh, The economic issues and also on the organization of the legislative elections on December 17th of this year to have a new elected parliament.
0: Ambassador, the opposition parties in Tunisia, the main opposition parties, uh, stood down uh, from this referendum and, and did not get engaged at all. And that may be one of the reasons we saw that the overall turnout was quite low, as you pointed out, although the vote itself showed, uh, of those who did vote, an overwhelming majority did vote uh, for the referendum. But uh, you mentioned that this is a step forward in terms of a Tunisian democracy. But how, how does the suspension of parliament last year, followed by a referendum that gives more power to the president, advance democracy?
1: Tunisian people rejected the solvent parliament because, and even, even political parties who were uh, represented within this, uh, this parliament called for this action. Uh, so because Tunisian people were feel like they are trailed uh, by the political class, they feel that uh, people within the parliament uh, focus only on their uh, narrow, very narrow interest or the interest of their political parties. Uh, they didn't were, uh, really care about the real needs of the Tunisian people and they didn't focus on the, the real needs of Tunisian people. That's why they took out to the street and asked the president to take the necessary measures ba- based on the constitution. And that's why the, uh, we last year uh, on July 25th, we have the uh, the, the announcement of these uh, exceptional uh, measures, and uh, as I told you, the the intent of the whole process is to try to rectify the democratic process and to uh, establish a sustainable democracy and a healthy democracy. And you. Um, mentioned the strong power now on the president according to the new constitution but uh, you know the president will be accountable before the people who will elect him and uh, also he will be accountable before civil society uh, which uh, in Fine the 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 most notable gain of these uh, last 11 years of democracy of this nascent democracy
0: Ambassador, let's turn to the economic situation in Tunisia. Tunisia has been especially hard hit or was especially hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been experiencing inflation and a a food and energy crisis resulting in in part from the Russia-Ukraine war. The IMF, if I have my numbers right, has projected 2.2% growth for this year. Um, But the expectation is because of the Russia-Ukraine war, it could be even less and 7.7% inflation, but it could be more, uh, help us understand the economic underpinnings of the current political situation in Tunisia and how the Tunisian people are, are dealing with these conditions.
1: Actually, the already difficult uh, difficult and fragile economic situation in Tunisia has been uh, further aggravated by the pandemic and even worsened uh, because uh, of the ongoing crisis uh, and the war in Ukraine, which has been occurred at a time uh, when the global economy uh, is gradu- gradually recovering from the, the pandemic. The war disrupted the production system around the world and uh, accentuated the supply chain's difficulties because it it concerns two major global exporters of hydrocarbons and cereals. Uh, I think after the current war, it turned out that Ukraine is feeding a large part of the the world. And it's worthy to highlight that the ongoing crisis has a direct impact on, on Tunisia economy, embodies by additional difficulties, and mainly in terms of budget, of course, because of the excessive increase uh, worldwide of the prices of the essential food, the staples and the hydrocarbons. So uh, this increase uh, led to a great funding needs. Regarding the food security, uh, I would like to underscore that Tunisia co-sponsored the resolution adopted by the General Assembly last May on global food uh, insecurity, calling the international community to undertake concrete actions to help the most impacted countries by this, uh, this world. And the World Bank also approved last June uh, a 130 million loan for Tunisia in order to lessen the impact uh, of the war by financing vital uh, soft wheat imports and uh, providing urgent uh, support to cover barley imports, seeds for the upcoming uh, planting season. Besides fully aware about the fragile economic situation, the Tunisian government has developed a holistic program on structural reforms to be undertaken in order to put Tunisia on path to sustainable economic recovery and economic growth and also to improve the resilience of the Tunisian economy uh, to face uh, shocks. Also, the government is committed to accelerate the energy transition through the implementation of PPP renewable energy uh, projects. And uh, let me uh, tell you that the economic reforms or the program on economic reforms will be discussed and negotiated with, with the, the IMF in order to have a new agreement and the echoes and the feedback of the last visit of a delegation from the IMF to Tunisia were very, very positive. And we are um, waiting for a staff level agreement in the upcoming uh, week, inshallah.
0: Ambassador, we covered this week that there is a water scarcity uh, issue in parts of Tunisia as well. How severe is uh, the water scarcity problem in some parts of the country? And do you anticipate that the reforms you've been talking about will also address that issue?
1: This issue is a worldwide issue and the, the Tunisian government is trying to, to find the appropriate solution to it. But frankly speaking, the program with the IMF is focused mainly on the restriction of the, the public enterprises and subsidies and so and the banking system also.
0: I assume that Tunisia, which imports 54 percent of its wheat from Russia and Ukraine, is pleased with the black Sea grain initiative that was uh, negotiated between Russia and Ukraine last month, mediated by Turkey and the U.N. Do you expect this initiative to help uh, Tunisia's current food security crisis?
1: Yeah, we hope we hope so because we are uh, we we almost uh, import sixty percent of our needs from Ukraine and Russia, and we'd love to be uh, to be part of any initiative that can for the Tunisian government to, to face uh, this threat of uh, uh, food security. And uh, Tunisia also attended uh, the conference uh, of Berlin on uh, food security uh, held uh, last uh, last June, and uh, as I told you, uh, we were a country co-sponsoring. The The resolution adopted uh, by the uh, General Assembly uh, to call uh, the the international community to to take uh, concrete actions uh, in order to lessen the impact of the war on the most impacted uh, countries, uh, of course, among them Tunisia.
0: Ambassador, as your country's representative here in Washington, you are on the front lines of U.S.-Tunisia relations. The Biden administration has proposed slashing aid and assistance to your country. That was even prior to the referendum. And the referendum was a further setback for bilateral relations. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said last week after the referendum that, and I'm going to quote here Tunisia has experienced an alarming erosion of democratic norms over the past year and reversed many of the Tunisian people's hard won gains since 2011. And he added that since last year, the suspension of constitutional governance, consolidation of executive power, and weakening of independent institutions have raised deep concerns about Tunisia's democratic path, both in Tunisia and internationally, end of quote. Where do U.S.-Tunisia relations stand at this point after that strong statement from the Secretary of State?
1: you know we very much value the long-standing friendship with the united states of america and this year we are celebrating the 225th anniversary of the tunisian american uh, treaty of peace and friendship and the tunisian authorities are looking forward to further enhancing the strategic partnership uh, with the united states of america but based on mutual respect, shared values, and common interests. And that's why, uh, as you mentioned, the recent statement of Secretary of State, uh, Mr. Blinken, on the political process in Tunisia and testimony of the appointed new ambassador, uh, U.S. ambassador to Tunisia before the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations during the hearing uh, related to the confirmation of his nomination, were uh, considered uh, at a high level as an interference in the Tunisian internal affairs and as a non-respect of the independent and sovereign decision of the Tunisian people. These statements were uh, widely criticized also by the public and accepted by the public opinion and the Tunisian uh, civil uh, society. I think that after the referendum, the choice of the Tunisian people was uh, clear. They trust the president and they would love to see a democracy that delivers Uh, because the revolution uh, was was about liberty and dignity, but also about economic dignity. So I think in this uh, very sensitive and crucial phase of its democratic process, Tunisia is looking forward the valuable support of all its reliable partners and friends. And of course, uh, uh, at the top of them, the United States of America. We are looking for this support if our partners really are willing to to contribute constructively to the success of the Tunisian democratic experience, which the Tunisian people are very attached to it and will never let down their democratic gains and they will never allow any democratic backsliding in, in, in Tunisia. And regarding the assistance, a slash of the assistance at the economic level and at the the military level will not help to uh, the tunisian people to concretize the the goals of of their revolu- revolution as i told you after 11 years after the revolution there is a large feeling of frustration and disappointment because uh, tunisian people didn't feel the economic dividend of being a democracy so the problem is mainly economic and without the support and the help of of our our friends uh, and Partners, we cannot uh, sustain this this democracy. So, we need to closely work with our our partners uh, to to have this uh, flourish democracy uh, sustained. And, and to be frank w- with you, I think that the democracy is the the unique destiny of the Tunisian uh, Tunisian people, and uh, Tunisia is and will remain uh, on the democratic path. And all these exceptional measures uh, are only aiming, as I told you, to have finally this uh, uh, democracy that can uh, that can work and that can deliver.
0: Ambassador Tajouri, thank you for joining us today on On the Middle East. I really appreciate your talking with us about developments in Tunisia and U.S.-Tunisia relations.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Andrew.
0: We will return after this short break.
1: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department Correspondent at Almonitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm Almonitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sit through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amberin and Zaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms.
0: And through a host of free
1: daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You
0: can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com.
1: As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis.
0: Thanks to our guest today, Ambassador Hameen Tajouri and our production team of Beowulf Rockland and Rosabelle Hine of Two Squared Media Productions. We will be back next week, and if you haven't done so, please sign up for all three of our El Monitor podcasts at your favorite podcast platform. Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel, Gilles' guest this month is the incredible Moroccan novelist Zineb Mapure, who discusses her novel La Poule et Son commun And on Israel with Ben Kaspin, where Ben this week speaks with former IDF intelligence chief Tamir Haimam. And of course, this podcast on the Middle East, where in addition to my interview today, you should also check out Ambrin Zaman's interview earlier this week with Yevgenia Gaber, a former Ukrainian diplomat who is currently a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and Carleton University. Thank you all for listening, and please keep up with all of the news and trends in the Middle East at lmonitor.com.